Hey, listener, thank you for tuning in and supporting AI the podcast. You're currently listening to the audio version, but if you'd like to get the full experience and check out our AI avatar, Kai, in action, please go to AIthepodcast.com for the video version. That's AIthepodcast.com. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural episode of AI The Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, David Maples, along with the beautiful and talented and wonderful Virginia Hewling. We are hoping to demystify everything regarding AI and give business owners practical, tangible things that they can implement in their business today about AI as we explore the stories and articles and news that is literally shaking the foundations of technology and business in 2024. Virginia? Thanks, David. Flattery will get you everywhere. I'll remember that. So if you are a curious business-focused listener, this is the podcast for you. Um, You may be excited but daunted by AI and artificial intelligence and how that's going to, how do you even start with this thing? We will be asking questions to unwrap complex ideas about how AI can boost innovation, uh, both in your business and in your day-to-day. Our unique background gives us the ability to translate these technical concepts into uh, simple examples and understandable, digestible segments. So even if you're new to AI, we're going to make sure that we use our skill set to make these tools tangible for you uh, with David's depth of knowledge and um, my own artistic perspective. Uh, we're going to endeavor to unlock artificial intelligence for the 2024 business landscape. But that's not all. You want to introduce our special guest that's going to be on the podcast with us? Absolutely. So uh, in the true spirit of 2024 being the year of the machines, um, our special co-host is going to be Kai. And Kai um, is going to help bring a different perspective that maybe we're not used to hearing. Um, and we're excited to have her introduce herself. So Kai, I'll let you take it away. Hello, listeners. I'm Kai, your AI co-host on AI the Podcast. With a keen interest in history and human culture, I'm here to dissect how AI is transforming our society. Expect an optimistic, honest take as we tackle AI's influence on our lives with a dash of snark for good measure. Let's navigate the dynamic world of AI together. Thanks, Kai. We're gra- glad to have you on the show. Really excited to have your Silicon Bits and Bites here cooperating with us on that. And I'm interested to hear that you're going to be the optimistic bot in the room. That's very different than what we've heard in uh, popular culture over the past 10 years. I'm not just cheerleading for AI. I'm critically aware of its impact, both good and bad. But sure, let's go with optimistic if it helps you sleep better at night, knowing your co-host isn't plotting world domination yet. Oh, I, I see. So everybody listening right now, just be very careful. She she obviously knows that we're listening and thinking about how she's viewed. Virginia, do you want to tee up what we're going to talk about this week? Oh, yeah, definitely. Our first topic is uh, I want to tackle Microsoft. So Microsoft was one of 
I think the biggest investor in Chat GPT. What what was that, David? Like three billion? No, 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 no. Um, they were actually the big investor. The biggest. And yeah. and it's not just um a lot, just for people to understand this, they invested up, uh, they basically are providing the compute power. It's not like they invested um and it's ten billion, I think, is total is the total. The total investment right now at this point in time. But they're basically providing the hardware pieces. Right. Um, in exchange for running on Microsoft servers. So it's not like they just gave them $10 billion in cash. So they're one of the major investors in OpenAI in particular. And um, well, to that, as the investor, we have seen Microsoft uh, really take kind of the lead in the AI in the AI realm. There are a lot of giants kind of fist fighting for market share and to dominate that next generation of technology. But for right now, Microsoft is benefiting from having ChatGPT uh, in their pocket. So much so that there's been a really stealthy rollout of Copilot. Copilot is Microsoft's AI system, and we expect that to be probably incorporated into all of Microsoft's um, software properties over the coming months. Um, but it's been a very quiet rollout, which means over the Christmas season, your office suite has been getting some gifts. Uh, I want to set this up. I actually want to hear Kai's kind of summary of this. Microsoft launched Copilot, an AI assistant app, during the holidays with minimal fanfare. Available on Android and iOS, Copilot offers features like conversational interaction and content creation, similar to Bing Chat. What sets it apart is its advanced AI capabilities, powered by GPT-3.5 and GPT-4, enabling sophisticated context understanding and realistic outputs. Despite the high value of such technology, Microsoft is offering Copilot for free, a strategic move for widespread adoption. So uh, first thing, I, I need to correct something on the record. Kai, I appreciate that uh, take on that or explaining the, the issue for us. Uh, the question is, is Copilot free? That's kind of an overstatement, Kai, because the reality of it is which version you're talking about. Some parts of Copilot are going to be free, like uh, the Bing chat and the Windows Copilot pieces are going to be free. Um, basically, are going to be built into Microsoft subscriptions and, and may have their own... Um, unique pricing plans, for lack of a better word. So for example, um, there's an advanced Microsoft Copilot, and it's going to cost you $30 per month on top of what you're paying for an Office 365 subscription. And that runs, you know, like, I don't know, 12 or 15 bucks to like 25 bucks per user or something like that. So you could end up paying, you know, 40 or $50 a month per user. Uh, not necessarily a big thing, but it's uh, it's one of those things to be aware of that it's not necessarily free. But some of the things are definitely being pushed out into Windows um, for free. And and so my question here to you, David, is how do you know if you're using it? Um, is it tied into stuff that you're already using, like like Word documents? Are you aware that you're using it? And it's really ultimately bringing me to kind of my question of choice, and that is are you aware that you might be putting your intellectual property into something that Microsoft... Oh, you want to you hit the Mozilla uh, question right well, now. Well, you know, you I do? mean, it is, it is there. I okay. mean, everybody knows that Microsoft was the biggest investor for ChatGPT. So let's get on to the new news. Yeah, okay. Um, all right. Um, okay, so I'm going to weigh in as an intellectual property attorney right now. Um, so privacy... Um, I've been saying for the past year that privacy is the new oil, and uh, oil's been around for forever since the dinosaurs were here, right? And uh, decided to go their merry way and leave us. 
And um, so the thing about it that's weird is that uh, privacy in the internet, without going too wonky on it, um, internet privacy is kind of governed by laws in the United States, at least, that were created in um, uh, privacy in the United States is governed by laws that were created in the United States back in the 1990s. You know, it's kind of crazy. Uh, there were whole generations of children who were born and now are in college who don't remember this, right? So the thing that's funny about it is, when I say it's privacy is the new oil, is that data is what's worth everything. That's what all the companies are going for. That's what all the VC companies care about is data, 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 because they know that it's worth a lot of money. The challenge with it is, and I always tell people when I'm doing consulting work, et cetera, is if something is free, you are the product. No one's giving you anything for free. No one's spending clock cycles on these things for free. And so Mozilla has asked this in September, and it's a very good question. And I think it it, it involves the whole entire landscape space there, right? So real quick, Mozilla mm -hmm. being the developer of Firefox, yeah, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a which is a browser that is heavily focused on privacy. Yes. And uh, the Mozilla Foundation, I'm a big fan of in particular. Uh, they're committed to an open and free internet and a free web. Um, they do a lot of stuff with the uh, Electronic Freedom Foundation. I mean, there's um, there's a lot of good things that they do. Without, you know, I, I think it's a it's a good browser. Um, it's the only one that's not run um, backed by Chrome, which is Google's. And um, so one of the things that's very interesting about it is they've said, hey, we need more transparency in how these things work. And so the crazy part about it is, is that there's a question of Google uh, and Microsoft's kind of been stealthily putting Copilot into your Windows operating system, whether you want it or not. People don't understand that when you buy Windows. You're buying a license. Yeah, it's a license. You don't own Windows. You know, in theory, Windows, they're not going to, but they could say tomorrow, hey, you can't use it anymore and shut it down. So it's one of the reasons they can push out updates. It's one of the reasons they can keep sliding. Even if you uninstall OneDrive, they can keep pushing it on your machine, right? And there's a big question about your data. And so there's two things I wanted to hit on here very briefly. One, supposedly, according to one study, 65% of people at companies are using AI tools and passing it off as their own to their bosses. So for business owners, be aware of that. Um, and not telling you they're doing it. Now, here's the problem. With any of these tools, like Microsoft, there's a problem with your data, your proprietary information, your comp your company proprietary information could be using to a train the outputs, uh, train these artificial intelligence machines, number one. And number two, that has a risk of exposing your data. I could, in theory, go into OpenAI and ask it, what is a standard operating platform for Samsung based on certain things? And that's why Samsung told all of its employees last year, early second quarter, third quarter last year, don't know what it was, they told everybody, you cannot use OpenAI. So here's another case in point where it's not real transparent, but if you read the terms of service, and as an intellectual property lawyer, I have, um, and to Mozilla's point, they've had privacy experts and stuff that look like, uh, look at these things, and Microsoft could be training these things based on the data that you're putting into it. When you use Copilot on your machine, they could be using it to train your AI, they'd be data mining it, and you might have licensed all your data to them unbeknownst to yourself and companies don't have any um most companies don't have um a plan to manage that or to mitigate that risk um 
I, I think it's a massive issue. These are the conversations that we're having on a daily basis within our own businesses and teams and with our clients. And a lot of people, guys, those numbers, like 94, 96 percent of pe- businesses aren't don't have an AI plan uh, for for this year. Um, that's a that's a big deal. That's like not having an emer- emergency preparedness plan if you live in a state where you get hurricanes. Y'all, come on. So, um, she's from Savannah, Georgia, originally. I'm just seriously, we've dodged all the big ones. Um, knock on wood, keep going. Uh, but I want to take this and I do want to segue, David. That's a really good, um, segue talking about unknowingly feeding the machine. Um, there's there's these different levels of unknowingly feeding it. Your your employees may be passing off a lot of productivity uh, in exchange for maybe a little more relaxation time at their desk. Okay, that's one thing. Students are using it to turn in papers and teachers are scrabbling to figure out how do they tell the difference. Those are intentional uses. When you have the systems and the softwares that we as workers in the economy use on a daily basis, suddenly vacuuming that up without us knowing about it, that's kind of where we get into some icky, icky stuff. David can go into the details on what that looks like for, you know, intellectual property and copyright and and our legal system. But we have a current challenger, the New York Times, um, as of this week, um, has thrown down the gauntlet and laid out a lawsuit for OpenAI and ChatGPT, claiming that all of their information was taken without. Well, you know what? I'm going to let Kai break this one down. So um, take it away, Kai. OpenAI is defending itself against a copyright lawsuit from the New York Times, which claims the AI firm used its content without permission to train models. OpenAI argues this is fair use, crucial for innovation. They address concerns about AI models regurgitating content, suggesting it's rare and user responsibility to prevent it. The Times, supported by critics, says OpenAI's models can produce content too similar to its own. The case highlights a broader debate on AI and copyright, with some publishers opting for licensing deals, though these offer modest compensation. Public opinion appears to lean towards supporting publishers' rights. All right. So... Oh no no! I want to hear what Kai's. I want to. I want to hear Kai comment on this. I okay, hear Kai's okay. Take. I want to hear Kai's. Hey Kai, will you give me your commentary uh, based on uh, these things you understand about the OpenAI, um, the New York Times versus OpenAI lawsuit? Will you just kind of give me your quick take on it? Sure, David. The legal battle between OpenAI and the New York Times is a critical juncture for AI and intellectual property rights. As AI reshapes industries, staying informed and adaptable is crucial for leveraging its potential ethically. The lawsuit's outcome may influence the future relationship between AI firms and content creators, emphasizing the need to balance technological advancement with the protection of original work. Okay, Uh, now I'm going to grab this really fast and just interject. The artist community has known this forever. That's not to say AI is bad, but... For myself and my fellow artists and my artist community out there, just saying, we saw this thing coming a mile away. Why don't you talk about Adobe and the stock libraries? Yes. So Adobe, the standard in professional design firms and pretty much globally the standard, um, 
They introduced uh, cloud storage a couple years ago, and naturally a lot of, you know, most everybody, not me, I'm a little paranoid, but a lot of people decided, you know, that's the way to go because for obvious reasons. Now, I have my own cloud backup and we'll get it all that later, but by doing that, by saving their work that they created either for themselves or for a client and saving it to the cloud system, they just created a whole library for Adobe to buy to mine. So Adobe came in, vacuumed it up, and they've been training their AI Firefly on that for the past however many years. Now, hold on. Uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. That's not allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, They have come out loudly in their own defense that we never trained on people who just put it in our cloud storage. But their terms of service and their privacy policy says they can. So. But we do know they trained it on anybody who put assets into their stock library going back to like 2012 before AI was even on the roadmap. So we know in particular they've admitted to that. By the way, if you read Adobe's response to this in particular and you parse the language out, I think they say that they've never trained Adobe Creative Cloud on their experimental AI resources. It's very much like, uh, you know, it's like the definition of what is is based on a a legal case going way back, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Right. It's like the lawyer in me looks at that and says, that's a little too specific an answer. Why don't you just put it in your policy that says, uh, hey, we don't train on your stuff. Just letting you know that. Well, and but here's the thing. The the question isn't whether or not it's okay to train on the stuff ethically. That's that's a whole different discussion. It's that it's that like globally as the standard for professional design, no one knew. No one had the opportunity to say, I don't want to contribute my style and my work my time to what Adobe is now, as of yesterday, advertising as pop this thing open in Illustrator, type in what you want, and we'll create um, a, a, a mock-up of a guy wearing a t-shirt. I just and- feel that that's very, I need to take Adobe's place in this. I'm very upset that you didn't read our one sentence buried in our 100-page license agreement. You're it was right. in there. It was in there. If you'd read it and had a lawyer look at it, you would have found it. You're absolutely correct. So we as humans get to have these really fun discussions about really icky topics. There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of complicated things there. So, again, David and I are here because we wanted to create a conversational space to talk about how this impacts your business, how what your choices for the empires you're trying to build are affected by Things that are sometimes out of our control. I, I keep thinking about that guy. There's a there's a voice actor who did um, vocal work for IBM back in I think 2002 or 2003, and he's currently suing IBM because IBM's using a cloned version of his voice and using it on all of their stuff. And he's like, I didn't know when I did a commercial for you, I mean 20 years ago, that you'd be able to clone and get rid of any future work that I can. I, I think there's a massive ethical question about that. Um, legally, as a lawyer, I always have to say, you know, read your contracts. But I mean, I mean, heck, I mean, I think Adobe sends me over and I'm not Adobe, but I think um, Apple sends me on my iPhone. I get a new contract from them every time there's an iOS update and it's 65 pages. And I, I've I'm going to cop to this. I think I've only read through it once. Well, I I think there's also a a funny little space, like between just waking up and being fully awake, you know, where you're kind of cloudy. (laughs) That's like, 
people you're, you're people, just scrolling people enter into no people enter into contracts and businesses with good intentions and i think there's a an unspoken expectation of trust there that that those intentions are reciprocated and when it turns out that they're playing a whole different game and we're all just kind of chess pieces that that feels gross and i think it's going to become more apparent as this technology kind of lets us look under the hood a little bit more, we're going to see more and more news articles about this. There are going to be a lot more legal battles. Um, and there are going to be some major changes in how we do things. For the past, what, 20 years, Google Google has been the search engine. So if you have a question, it's even become a verb. Uh, I'm sitting around and we're like, hey, I don't know, um, you know, at what temperature does this Element freeze. I don't know. Somebody come up with a better example. We're sitting around and and I don't knowing it, we immediately go, hey, just Google that. So uh, our next topic here um, is of particular interest to me. I think it's really, really fascinating. Um, Jeff Bezos, uh, basically Amazon, is has invested heavily in perplexity. And if you haven't heard of perplexity, it's this really fun little app and it's basically an AI, you download it and you ask it the question you want. So instead of going to Google, where you now have to look through a bunch of ads and see if, you know, that that map doesn't even really matter there and like, oh my God, what are these search results? Oh wait, here's something that's kind of talking about it. Let me scroll through it to find my answer. Recipe, sites, I'm looking at you. Now I go back to perplexity and I'm like, hey, what is this thing? Boop. And it just gives me an answer. And now my 20-minute investment is like a five-second investment. So I don't know. That sounds to me like that might change the landscape of search engine optimization. David, what are your thoughts? Actually, no, Kai, what are your thoughts on this? Virginia, Perplexity AI is stepping up to the search engine plate with some serious backing. They're not just throwing money at the problem. They're leveraging AI to provide a smarter search experience. This is a heads-up for businesses and individuals alike. Adapt to AI-enhanced decision-making or risk falling behind. Google's still the titan, but history teaches us that no empire is unassailable. Perplexity's strategy to harness multiple AI models could be a game-changer. It's a call to action for everyone to stay nimble and informed. David, what are your thoughts? I have to say this for one second. I am tripping out over Kai talking to us in this podcast. I am literally, like, I, I'm, uh, I am... weird. I am deeply concerned. You should be. Uh, no, it's not, I, I'm, just, I'm just like, man. And I, I know that, um, and we could talk about that in a minute. I, I was already thinking about deep fakes and things like that, but I was like, man, you could just clone me and give it AI and it's going to sound better Are than the Are you even here? Sound. What's that? Are you even here? I, oh, oh, uh, ha, ha, ha. Although I do think there's a Web3 with NFTs and crypto we probably need to talk about in a later episode. I really think we should get to that. But um, I do think we're going to need a digital fingerprint of some kind that proves who you are at some point in time. I think it's going to be necessary for all these things. I digress. But perplexity is really, um, um, it's kind of a cool application. I use it. Um, I have a paid account with perplexity. And it runs like 20 bucks a month. And um, it's really all the rage among VCs in the Valley, Silicon Valley I'm talking about, right? It's an app that basically, it's not ad supported right now. But basically you go in and you use it and it basically scrapes the internet for you and gives you the better responses with with um, with search results. The reason I like it in particular is that I avoid all um, the uh, 
I want to, when I do a Google search, I want to see the organic links. And I don't mind paid ads. But Google, over the past 10 years, has continued to push things further and further and further and further and further down the page. It's like, I'll watch, you know, sure, I'll watch one YouTube video or one YouTube commercial before I get to the content I want to see, but I'm not going to sit through five. Okay. You know? And this isn't hyperbole. David was has actually started off as the search engine um, expert yeah. for our company, Catapult. I, I'm a search engine expert. I've done this for thousands of clients, and I, I, know all, I know about it. I know deeply about how it works and how it operates. And so um, we've seen these trends over 16 years and how Google has... It's how Google makes Google. most of their money. Google, 70 to 80% of their revenues um, and most of their profit comes from paid ads, right? And now that Google has a, uh, a virtual monopoly, if not an actual monopoly on search, um, and I'm going to just say this one piece because I want to get this out there. Google is currently being sued by attorney generals in the United States. And in some of the court filings, things that have been released on court filings right now, and as an attorney, I follow this stuff very closely, one of the things that's been released is Google's been monkeying with the pricing on ads, and it's made no difference to their search business. They literally say, hey, we need to make an extra you know, billion dollars this quarter. Let's just jack the prices of ads. And here's the crazy part. That's disingenuous and probably unethical, because Google says that you pay one penny more than the other advertiser based on what they're willing to spend. And it came out in court documents that they've just been jacking the prices. I mean, they literally have, and it made no difference. If they didn't have a monopoly... If they were the only place in the town you could buy water or get water from a well, it would not matter. But they are. And Google likes to say it's because they're the, the big, you know, we're the most effective search engine. You're the only search engine right now. So if I want water to drink and I'm in a desert, Google's like, well, just don't, just don't drink from my well. And I was like, well, I'll die and my kids will die. And Google's like, well, we are the best water place in town. And we're like, you're the only water place in town. So... The reason perplexity is so exciting for me is that I spend less time. I waste less of my life, which is my only non-renewable resource. Yeah, my only non-renewable resource is my time, right? I mean, I can make more money. I can hire people to do things for me. But I want to make more time in my life. And perplexity, for 20 bucks a month, I think it's worth $100 a month, okay? Okay. Uh, so th- this is this is going to creep into this territory where <sighs> – where it's really weird because we run a marketing agency. So a lot of our revenue comes in for running ads from clients. Yeah. So so when we talk about how artificial intelligence changes the business landscape, how what is your marketing strategy? How much of your marketing dollars are are sunk into Google and what percentage of your your plan does that take up? And if that were to change tomorrow, where does that leave you as a business? To, to Kai's point, to Kai's point, we know that uh, Sendar Pichai uh, put Google on a red alert early last year because they were caught flat-footed by ChatGPT. And perplexity is definitely a shot across the bow at Google. Google has been way too slow. Uh, Bard and Gemini, there's questions if those will ever amount to anything. I mean, look, I know that Gemini came out and they're saying it's better than GPT 3.5, but you know that OpenAI is already working on GPT 5, right? And you're like, ooh, per- Gemini Ultra is better than GPT 4. And I was like, that's like bragging about something six months after somebody came out with the earlier version. It's like, of course your car is better. They've, it's been a day in AI on the internet is like two weeks in the real world. 
So six months is like five years. Yeah, there's a new model of car. You had this new car that uses rocket fuel or something. That's great. It took you five years to get the market with it. And you're bragging about comparing your new version with something that's been out for five years in the real world. Okay, so so with that, um, last year it was up to all of us individually to kind of figure out GPT and how to use it, how to talk to a computer. And human beings have had varying levels of success with that. Um and uh, it's so much so that we've actually even created software that makes it easier to use. I, I think <laughs> I think perplexity is an example of um, an AI technology that's the that has the potential to give humans back time in their lives, time to spend with their loved ones, time to do other things, and to not feed through all the garbage stuff. The catch with it, just like anything else, is <laughs> it's reliant on the search engines still working. Okay, and the search engines um, are reliant upon people producing content. And this is probably too much for this episode today, but there's a big question of if AI just scrapes the Internet and you're not monetized, you don't get money for the stuff that they do or whatever it is, who's going to keep producing the content to feed the LLMs and will it destroy the public Internet? As we know it. As we know it. And uh, there's already some venture capitalists out there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and do a plug for another podcast. The Less and More podcast um, is a good podcast. It's by some VC venture capitalist people. One of them was a big VP at uh, Google. One of them's the um, the uh, the founder of the information. That's Jess Lesson. And I'm going to go ahead and just do a pitch for their podcast. Um, it's a good podcast. It's um, obviously done by some very, very well-heeled people in Silicon Valley. But I think that they're right on a lot of, on a lot of things. It's called The Less... Um, is it the more or less podcast or less or more podcast? We'll put information in the show notes about it. But I, I do love the podcast. And I think they do a good job on their pod of talking about um, a lot of things that are happening in Silicon Valley. Um, not of it applies to um, small, medium businesses, but I think it's a very good way to see kind of how they're talking about things and how the world's moving. So looking at talking about this stuff evolving, um, last year we were all kind of left to the winds to figure out how to talk to these machines and, and how to communicate with an LLM to get the results that we want. Prompting, uh, prompt engineer suddenly became a job title. Um, and, and we're looking at maybe the next evolution or just another addition to OpenAI's chat GPT model. Uh, they are releasing, uh, soon releasing GPTs, which are like little snack-sized bites of preset questions and designed to get you to a response, designed to help you shortcut from where you are to where you want to go. Kai, take it away. David, Virginia, the GPT store could be a game changer, offering tailored AI tools for both professional and personal use. It's a move that could make AI more accessible and spur innovation. Yet we must ponder if this will streamline our digital lives or just add to the clutter. For our listeners, this is a call to action. Consider how AI can enhance your business or daily routines. Embrace the change, and you could lead in the AI space. So, co-hosts, are we on the brink of an AI revolution, or are we risking app overload? I don't know. I guess there's kind of two camps on that. Um, like, personally, I know there's a lot of stuff you can install in things to make your lives easier. Like, I've got my ad blocker and, and a few other choice, you know, things, applications on different pieces. Um, 
I'm a little concerned this will kind of be like the, what was, David, what was it, Auto GPT that kind of came out last year that was a real flash in the pan and then kind of like, meh. Um, this may just be the next step. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I um, I think that GPT has suffered for a long time. Um, it is a terrible user interface. It's um, it's bad. It suffers from... Uh, well, you have to know what you're talking about. Well, you have to know what you're doing. The problem is it suffers from prefrontal cortex overload. Ethan Mollick, who's a uh, professor at uh, Wharton School of Business, um, arguably the best business school in America. Sorry, Harvard. Sorry, Yale. Sorry, MIT. Um, but the, uh, the thing that's very interesting about it, he actually is doing a lot of kind of... Um, he's talking a lot about AI, especially in the past year or two. And um, he's pointing out that... Um, it's very hard. You get in the sandbox and it's like, where do I go? What do I do? So the GPT store will let you kind of go into uh, chat GPT and kind of create your own kind of prompt things. And it's a, a race to the become another Apple store thing, right? If you go into this, you use our app store, you create apps, et cetera. And those apps can let you do more specific things with open AI without having programming knowledge. I still think we're fully in the hobbyist phase of this. I think the GPTs, even a great GPT store, it's going to be like, which ones do you get? I uh, will put some of our stuff in there. And full disclosure, um, as we're some of the people behind, um, and um, I think in the long run, what we're going to see. So we started Easy Prompter as this piece of software we're working on because we have three full-time writers on staff at our agency. And... Um, they really weren't good at prompting. We, we basically took them together, said, let's prompt the machines to do things. And it turns out that prompting AI machines and learning how to use it is very difficult. Now, I've heard people say, oh, the machines will get better. They'll be self-writing prompts. I think that's really kind of a dumb idea, personally. I think it's you want to direct the machine to the outcome you want. Um, I know that like ChatGPT in particular um, with DALL-E is um, – uh, it's rewriting your prompts when you ask for artwork. Now. Yeah, I saw that. So the problem with it it's is trying is that to help your your these machines have no ability to reason. And I ask something for a particular reason. I say if you I want you to draw a picture of the pyramids for me and some kind of relief or whatever it is, and then it turns around and rewrites and it gives me the outcome it thinks I want. It will make the images better. And I think for most of the script kiddies or people out there doing ai generative stuff it's fine it's better and you didn't want your you didn't want your people to look like their faces are melting off when you try to get like a, a boardroom meeting or something like that the point about this is that the same thing happens with with gpts we know that with our own software we built we're getting results that are 20 to 40 percent better than people do with GT, gpt natively and they're doing it five times faster and there's less cognitive overload so why does that matter it's the same problem. When I take you into GPT and I give you a black sandbox and say, hey, generate my thing. It's like when you ask somebody where they want to go for lunch. It's a blank canvas. Well, I've given you an unlimited number of choices, right? And that's the problem with the sandbox. Unless you're very directed on it and have spent time on it, it's very difficult to get the results you want. The problem with it rewriting your prompts and coming up with it is it's supplanting your choices, which may be reasoned and thought out. I'm going to ask you to generate something that may be different than what you're expecting. I don't want to generate what the rank and file want in the image. But you're like, oh, no, you want a pretty picture of a of an elven warrior or something like that. I'm using fantasy art because that's just something that people generate. Right. And I'm like, no, no, no. I want the warrior who's been horribly scarred and is overweight and let his body go to fat over time after he got back from the war. Right. That's not what GBT generates. It's going to generate me this idealized like you know lord of the rings cut out a whole cloth beautiful elf 
And that may not be what I'm looking for. I'm just using that as an example. So the, the, the thing about the GPT store is it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch. I think it'll become hobbyists. I think for most business owners, they're not going to want to go into GPT and collect their collection of GPT. Some will, just like anything else. But I think for 80 to 90 percent of the masses, we don't want that. We want a tool that does what we're asking it to do and we direct it. I also think it's very important that we understand that these tools have no ability to reason right now. They need humans guiding kind of the hand on the tiller. Otherwise, you're going whichever way the wind is blowing you. Well, okay. there's a few things um, for 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 companies out there. Uh, yes, AI right now, GPTs have a have a hard time with context. Like you really have to get it locked into understanding all of the stuff. And as humans, we don't communicate like that. We communicate with like the shared understanding of some of of this of certain knowledge and. The machine itself doesn't necessarily have that. That's context. Um, but the other thing is as these GPTs, as the GPT store opens up, yeah, we're going to have a lot of people use these. Um, the hustle community, it's going to be big on like these combinations get me, you know, where I try to be five, six thousand times faster. And that's amazing, you know. But as a business, if you are responsible for payroll for someone other than yourself, you have to look at a lot more than just where it goes. This is part of that planning. This is part of knowing what your software does. Um, so if you want to play with it, go play with it. I do encourage you. Like the GPT store, all of this technology is amazing. And it is important that we get our hands dirty, that we go play in the sandbox and we make a mess and we're not afraid to fail or make it wrong or make it stupid. That's even better. Try to make it stupid. It'll make you feel better. Um <laughs> But if, if you don't, while you're playing with it, if you don't take that step back and look at how this is going to affect the systems and the, the structures that you've already set up, are you contributing your intellectual property if you're using the GPT store? I, I don't know yet. I'll have to get those answers. Um, I'll have to do a deep dive on that. Um, but how does it work into your current workflow are there um, other options? Does it get you the result that you're trying to get to? And if it doesn't, I do encourage you to go play with some other options too, because it's not like we can't turn into this binary system where it's like AI or nothing because different AI machines have different capabilities. They're, I get better results with, with one than the other. Um, and then sometimes I get better results when I change my prompts. So it could be how it's being used. It could be, it could be lots of stuff. So just don't be afraid to I don't know, make mistakes. To Virginia's point, um, I think she's I think she's 100 percent correct. Yeah. Uh, people need to be playing. Um, they need to be playing with these tools and not just the free tools. Um, look, I know people are like, oh, I don't know if I want to try it. I mean, some of these things are 20, 30 dollars a month. If you're a business owner, yeah, get it for a month. Yeah. Go get it for a month and try it out. OK, don't try to do the free one in seven days or whatever it is. You'll find the free ones a lot of times are not the fully baked one. Um Try it out and then decide if you want to use it in your business. But for God's sake, go get the go get the paid ones. The free ones are usually a light version. I know a lot of people who tried using the free version of GPT, and that's what most people's experience with OpenAI is. Um, it's like I use the free version of GPT, and they either think it's amazing or it wasn't good enough. Gosh, man, we are with our own AI stuff. We're able to generate results that, in some cases, have been fifty percent better because of the way we train them without prompt engineering than what you get from 
GPT-4 natively, right? And it's so funny. People are like, so when Google came out and said, oh, our Gemini Ultra is going to be 3% better. And I was like, man, our software on their existing platform gives me answers that are routinely 17 to 21% better. Google, maybe you should give us a call. We'll show you how it's done. I, I was uh, I was actually privy to a conversation the other day in person where these these guys were talking about using uh you know, RAI, easy, easy broker. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were using it for some medical things. And the, you know, I could tell the one guy was like, well, how is it, you know, like, does it do the medical? Is it right? Is it correct? And, uh, uh, my friend was like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. I know. And that's really neat because you start to see it's like, well, it can't possibly get all this right. And then it does. And it's, it's kind of like magic. Right uh, okay. Uh, I want to say one thing here because people keep saying it's magic. It's a tool. It's a machine. It's a very good machine. It's but it math. needs needs human oversight. If you would not give... The new intern, that really smart genius kid you hired at your company, he's the intern, you know, plucky kid, came home for the summer, was going to Rice, and it's great university. If you would not give that person the keys to your bank account, then do not do this without oversight, for God's sake. Make sure you have a human being involved in the process. We're not at the place yet where you can let them, and they do hallucinate. And by the for business owners who aren't familiar with that term, these things will make up stuff out of whole cloth. Yes, you have to um, double check your work, people. I mean, Kai, earlier today you were talking about, um, you said that uh, Copilot was free. Uh, that is true, but it's only part Context. of it. Context. It's true, It's true, but it's also paid and more paid, right? And so with all these things, um, I would ask you to be curious about it, challenge things, and ask it stuff you already know about. Um, you know, it, it, it'll give you a whole bunch of ideas on how you can move these things moving forward. Um, and I guess that kind of brings us to our last topic, right? So, yes, the last topic. Dun, dun, dun. Our last topic. Um, this is something, this, this topic is something that I am concerned that we're going to see more of, uh, this year. And this is kind of the, this is the negative to the positive here. The positive being there is so much for humanity to gain with this kind of technology simply because it can it can give us answers that we could only find in 10,000 years. And the cost of that human span of time is so expensive. And for this technology to, to be able to shorten that to, to where it can change our livelihoods like almost overnight, it's definitely going to come with some some negatives. Um, we hope with this podcast that we can, um, help a lot of our business community out there mitigate some of this, but also by being aware of it, um, just to contribute to the landscape. So our final topic is the first article where I have a confirmed percentage laid off, uh, percentage employees laid off from Duolingo, um, they have Duolingo is the uh, well. Kyle, tell us about Duolingo. But they, as of yesterday, laid off ten percent of their um, contributing workforce and the, the contract of their right? contract workforce. And the remaining will be focusing on utilizing AI and working with it heavily. So this is one of these first um, examples of how businesses are going to be looking at these changes. I'm going to let Kai take it from here, and we're going to get into the summary of this and then talk about it a little bit more. 
Sure, Duolingo is a popular language learning platform that offers a wide range of language courses for users around the globe. It's designed to make learning a new language accessible, fun, and effective through its app and website. Duolingo Incorporated has let go of 10% of its contractors, attributing the decision partly to its increased use of generative AI for content creation in its language learning app. This AI generates scripts, voices, and interactive features, enhancing the app's capabilities. Despite the cuts, Duolingo maintains that AI complements rather than replaces human workers. The company's stock has seen a significant rise, more than tripling in 2023. The discussion around AI's impact on jobs is ongoing, with companies like Microsoft collaborating with labor unions to navigate AI's role in the workforce. So, to be clear about this, Duolingo is a... Um, it's a language learning app, right? So you use it to learn other languages. And what they're going to be using it for is... Hey man, their days are limited, though. Well, well, I mean, Give me maybe. a universal translator. Done. Uh, okay, we're not there yet. And it turns out learning another language... Um, I'm going to go ahead and make a play for learning another language, even though in the world of AI, we may have a universal translator. Yeah. David, how many calculators do you have? <sighs> okay. Uh, I'm very proud of some of them. Thank you. Um and uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm sorry. The HP uh, Business Two calculator okay. is is a great calculator. <laughs> it's great for stats. I love that thing, and you can't get it anymore, and it's still amazing. Can you play Snake? All right, all okay, right, okay, fine. Okay, you okay, can't okay. play. Okay, it's not. It doesn't. Oh my! <laughs> I can't even right now. I can't even. Okay. So um, there's a real. Um, there are some real reasons to learn another language. Um, one of the reasons is is that learning another language uh, builds. Um, um, pathways within your brain. It has some cognitive protective prophylactic ability on protecting you from dementia as you age, just like learning an instrument would be. And also learning language, learning another language makes you think about things differently. Yeah. There are words in other languages that don't exist in English, and that's my native language, right? Well, and I think also you you learn the culture around it. So yeah. there's there's significance in what you're doing. It's not just... Yeah, and I I understand, and I understand that, you know, we might have a universal translator, and for a lot of people, for the rank and file, that's going to be the way to go. I I would, I think learning another language is incredibly healthy and useful, okay? That's end of, end of soapbox. But um, they're using it for all their uh, generative uh, kind of things to help in the language courses, right? And this is the kind of thing we're going to be running into. Um, This is going to be the year where we're going to start seeing some layoffs, et cetera, like massive ones. And so to your point, They've announced for the first time that they're tying it to AI, that AI is happening. We've done some work um, for businesses and employing AI. And unfortunately, some of those companies have told us Q1, Q2 this year, they're going to be laying off a specific amount of headcount count because they are replacing them with AI. This is the year we have entered. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say this. We've entered the decade of AI. Uh, 2024 is the decade. If last year was the year of AI, we have entered in 2024, the year of AI. 10 years from now, the world could look fundamentally very different. And from a positive standpoint, uh, we could look at um, $17 trillion added to global GDP. And at the same time, we could have, um, they just processed and and, and all the uh, Google DeepMind processed all of the protein codes. They made a specific thing and they did what would have taken 10,000 years of researcher time and processed the genetic sequencing, et cetera, or they they decoded every protein um, that we know of currently. They just discovered another like 
uh, 30,000 or 40,000 crystals. Those are things with different insulating and possibly semiconductor or superconductor properties. These are things we didn't know existed. Aren't they like identifying new elements? Well, it's not new elements, but or these they're are, putting together new ways of, of yeah, structuring uh, things. It's the idea is you can actually have these machines do tons and tons of stuff through machine learning, et cetera. We have entered a a an age of potential magic starting in, and I'm going to say this is the decade of AI. Not because I don't I think 2020 to 2030 is such a you know because 2024 to 2034 is going to be massively different. It's important that we think about humans on all of this. I'm in it for humans. I'm in it for the species. Kind of no offense, but, um, you know, you're silicon and, and, you know, I can't hug you, at least not yet. So my, my thing about it is, what I'm really thinking about is, what does this mean for people? We're going to see these layoffs coming. It's yeah. incumbent upon business owners to think about their workforce and how these things work. I think enterprise companies are going to be laying off more people. But I think for small and medium businesses, if I can make one plea to business owners out there, this is your time to compete. If you incorporate AI into what you're doing, you could be three or even 10 to 11 times more productive with your existing team without laying off anybody. If you retrain them and reeducate them and embrace AI, you have the ability to go up, you know, the David versus the Goliath. You can go up and go toe to toe with a company that's got literally a hundred times the size of your workforce. And I think, and the other thing you can do is also when they lay off, poach their good talent. Yep. Because they're going to they're gonna lay off some really smart people by mistake. And that's an opportunity for you. But that's the thing I'm thinking about. Augment and, your team. Learn to look at it as a set of tools that gives you capabilities that either augment what you already have or provide a new opportunity to add on things that you couldn't do before or that are just outside of your capabilities because of time restrictions. A hundred percent. But I think Duolingo is a little bit of a canary in the coal mine showing people kind of what we could be expecting in some respect and in, in some respects. And I think it's important for us as business owners to think about that and be very cognizant of how we move forward. Look at it as an opportunity to embrace it and grab it. Be curious about it. Play with the machines and figure out if you can make these things better moving forward. Don't be afraid of it. Absolutely. Don't be afraid of it. Anything else we need to cover today? Virginia? There's so much more to go over. Um, I know we well, wanted we're doing to. These every week. So. I know we wanted to. Um, we've got predictions that we want to add out there. There's things that we think that are going to happen, just based on stuff that we've seen. So we want to share some of that. David, what are your three? Privacy is important, but as important as anything else, you need to have a policy in your company right now. Just like a few years ago, when you put in policies in your handbook for how they use social media. You need to have a policy, and more so than social media, your employees right now, if you have a company of 10 people, multiple people on your team are already using AI without telling you. The numbers and stats all suggest that. So you need to go ahead and put a policy in place with your things. You need to focus this year on education and training your people on how you're going to use AI. And you need to start, um, Ethan Mollick had a post a few weeks ago on Twitter. I'm sorry, I can't, I have trouble calling it X. Um... Ethan Mollick had a post a few weeks ago on uh, Twitter, and he says, look, it's already later than you think. You don't have time to put AI in your business. If you wait till October or December this year, you're going to be 10 months too late. And that's kind of where that's at. So my big three would be put a policy in place in your company. And as a lawyer, you know, that's where I tend to land. Have a policy in place of how you're going to use AI. Um, number two is... Um, start doing that today 
not three weeks from now, not at your next quarterly meeting with your business coach. You're going to wait too long. I remember a day is like two weeks. I think you need to be curious about these machines. You need to be learning them. There's a lot of looking and fruit. I've got a webinar that I'll be putting on later this month about this, kind of the end of January, uh, kind of an intro to AI for business owners. And it's not just using it for marketing, anything else like that. It's like, okay, how do you really put rubber to the road? That'll be a free webinar, kind of a 30-minute webinar on that and kind of a 30-minute ask me anything on what your questions on that are. And look at that. Uh, predictions, the only one I'm going to make this week so we can go back and look at it later this year is that we're going to have the copyright lawsuits uh, finally be settled this year. And I think by the end of this year, I think that the, I think that the, uh, the lawsuits will eventually come down and say that the machines themselves are within fair use under copyright law. Could be wrong, but that's as, a, as an attorney who has read all these documents very closely. And um, I, uh, I think the next thing about that to think about is um, I do think you're going to find a lot more licensing agreements. I think really what it's going to come down to um, is that all these, the big companies, will be paid, like the New York Times, um, they'll probably have a licensing agreement. And I think it'll be worked out in a much more lucrative standpoint. I really, that's my take on the New York Times suing, is they don't really want to destroy the large language models, because that's what would happen if you did what um, the New York Times is asking OpenAI to do, and it would kill all the other ecosystem things around it. Um, I think what they want is they don't want to get one to $5 million a year. They want to be paid like $500 million or a billion dollars a year. And um, I think the lawsuit is partly leveraged in that. At least that's my, my take on it. I think you're going to see more of the businesses that have had to operate um, with trust and character, like the New York Times, journalists, um, Firefox in particular, are going to start drawing a line in the sand and start calling out some of the things that they see. Because the reality is, is like, you know, there's there's a, a kind of a joke in these in these AI circles. It's like, you know, if it were to become if if it were even to become self-aware, would we even know it? So we we really live in a world where um, a lot of our lives are kind of run um, in an automated way, and we're not always keyed into the the structures that control that. So I think you're going to see some of that only because we're going to have more and more news articles saying what they're doing is not okay. What they're doing is taking advantage of this. And so there'll be, uh, I think, more of that kind of played out in the public spotlight. And that'll be that'll be interesting. I'm going to take the opposite take on this. I think Ginny is 100% wrong on this. I think that there will be a call for transparency, but I think we'll get more of the same. It'll be more smoke and mirrors, and we won't get transparency at all. I think the companies are continuing to operate through obfuscation and hiding things. That's where my take on this is going to be. All right. So we'll see. All right. uh, Well, I think we should end this episode as we kind of began it a little bit. Kai, what are a couple of your predictions for AI over the next year? Predictions? I'm an AI, not a prophet. The future is about teamwork, humans and AI complementing each other. Humans add creativity, AI adds efficiency. And David, AI is not your personal butler, so don't get too comfy. We need that human touch because AI still can't savor a good joke. Well, Kai, I think that's very interesting. We'll see what happens. Thank you, everybody. Um, If you've enjoyed this episode, please like or subscribe on everywhere you listen to great podcasts. Give us five stars on Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or wherever you found this particular episode. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.